Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It's a real, real privilege to be up here this evening. These um, headsets are quite a challenge when you have bigger ears. It's quite an interesting thing to work out. Um, but it's a, it really is an amazing privilege to be, to be up here this evening, to be able to preach to you guys. Um, I, I have a, I, if you're a preacher, you have favorite preachers. Um, you have guys who you like to listen to. And I like to listen to this guy named Gabe. He's one of my personal favorites. He's really good. Um, download his sermons. Um, but there's this, another guy named Chad Veach. He is from Los Angeles. He leads a church called Zoe Church. Um, and he's uh, just a very cool guy. He's got quite a normal torso, but then has the thinnest legs I've ever seen in my entire life. It's quite profound. But he has this thing he does because they, they're from a very Pentecostal church and they like to make a lot of noise. And so when he makes a good point, he's one of these guys, he's probably got self-assurance as one of his strength finders. He really backs himself. So when he makes a good point, he'll stand up in front of the church and go, can I get a witness in the church? And then the whole church erupts like you guys did now, which is really good. Um, but so... So that's just a little, so if I get a little bit overexcited and I go, can I get a witness in the church? That's beautiful. Apologize if you're new to this church thing. I'm a little bit strange. Um, but it's, um, it, you know, it really is great to have you here this evening. My name's Tyler. Um, like Gabe said, he thankfully reminded me of my name. Um, and so my name's Tyler. Real privilege to be up here. We, are, we have kicked off a series last week. We're in the second week of the series called God Is. Um, and as you can imagine, this series is centered around a brilliant uh, a statement there, a series on discovering the wonder of our God. And so we're going to take a moment this evening to discover the wonder of our God. And the context of this series is a, it's, it's a series designed to position in our minds and in our hearts who God is. That's the idea around this series, that, that we, would, we would position in our hearts, we would have what we call revelation. And revelation sounds like a very big word and something you may not have heard before, but revelation is very simply something that you know about God in your mind becoming something that you believe in your heart. And what we are hoping for over the next couple of weeks is that you would have moments of going, wow, God, I understand that in my heart. Um, This morning, Mark preached on the Trinity, and he made an amazing statement. He said, if we are believers, if we are known in the Bible as believers, then what we believe matters. The Bible calls us believers, which means the things that we believe matter. And, and actually, I believe that for many people, they are very okay with not being part of the process of deciding what they believe. For many of us, I believe we live in default mode. So we live in this reality, well, actually, that's just the way it is. It's just, that's just how it is. That's j- we, I'm okay with that, because that's, like, like for, in, for just a, a, maybe a serious example, but poverty, that reality, well, I, well it's just the way it is. But actually, no, if we believe that as the church we are called to transform that, it transforms our posture toward it. Does that make sense? So when we, when, we, when we become involved and step into making decisions around what we believe and what we give ourselves to, it transforms the way we live our lives. It really is quite a key thing. Um, I want to tell you a little bit more about myself this evening. Um, I was born in Johannesburg in a wonderful town called Springs. Um, it's a powerful place, powerful, powerful place. There we go. Where are you from again, Bucky's? Secunda. It's almost like Secunda, just a little bit different, but mainly the same. Um, and the only place we didn't venture to was Brackpan. That was kind of, but outside of that, um, 
But uh, so, and I, I was born in Springs and I moved to Cape Town when I was 12 years old. I have one father and one mother. Um, and it's <laughs> profound, I know. Um, and, and so just a little bit of background, moved here when I was 13 years old, um, had my high school career, went to two different high schools, one of them being Millerton High, represent, um, and went there, and, so, and then straight after school, did a year of my life here at the church, um, started studying, currently kind of doing a BCom and, and working full-time here. But quite an interesting thing about me is I did not grow up Christian at all. The extent of my being Christian growing up was that I would tick it on the box when you filled out an application for school. That was it. I, I didn't have a car. We didn't go to church. My dad only ever took us to church for funerals, and even that was a stretch. Um, and so I never really went to church, didn't understand that kind of stuff. And so, so I grew up with some pretty clear misunderstandings about God. I, I grew up with these realities that actually, I, 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 honestly, I believed weird things about God. My picture of God was a, was a Father Christmas type God that would, uh, had a naughty or nice list. Um, and if I did well that year, then, then like, it was, it was just very weird perceptions. But the challenge is, I was preaching at youth the other day, I used that analogy, and a young girl nodded. She was like, yeah, that's how I understand God. The challenge is we make the assumption that we ourselves and people around us understand who God is. And actually, we need to engage the scriptures, we need to engage Jesus, because when I came to Jesus when I was 16 years old, I had to go, wow, there are some serious things that I believe that are not true about God. And I had to go through a process of engaging Jesus, engaging his scriptures, understanding who he was. For example, a girl who sat next to me in English, she was a Jehovah's Witness. And interestingly enough, a Jehovah's Witness doesn't believe that Jesus is God. And I, I, and I just was flippant about that thing. I was like, Jesus is God, I love Jesus, and Jesus is God. But when she challenged me on it, I had to go, okay, God, I need to engage your scriptures on this thing so that I have metal in my bones when I engage the world on these things. And I think, like I said earlier, too many of us become okay with, oh, well, that's just, that's, but that's what my parents told me. And I believe God, in this series, God is, is calling us to engage Him in intimacy and say, Jesus, will you teach us from your word who you are and what we are called to believe about you? Because it transforms the way we engage God and the way we engage the world. Um, even this morning, as Mark preached, he, he made the statement around the, the Trinity is relational. So I, I was a, a person, my, my family didn't really have friends around, we didn't do that kind of thing. And when I got saved, I had to engage this thing of community. I had to go, okay, wow, there's this group of people that actually like me. It was quite profound. Um, and it was really, it was a, a, quite a profound moment for me. Um, and, and I was, because I actually didn't have a lot of mates. So when I came into the church, this was quite a big thing. But thanks, Gabe, really appreciate that. Gabe was my first friend, guys. Um, and, and so... I had to engage this thing of community and actually go, well, Jesus calls me to be in community. Jesus calls me to submit to community. Jesus calls me to allow people to speak in my life. As a young 16-year-old, very arrogant, thought I knew everything about everything, and sometimes still do, um, but I, there was this, this reality that actually, I've, no, I've got this down. I've got this down. I know, I know everything. And actually, guys had to clout me a little bit, and I had to go, okay, wow, and one or two of them may have physically clouted me, but... Um, not Mark, though. Um, and and I, had, I had to grapple with these things and, and, and come into submission that actually community is a God-designed thing. And I need to get into it. So, so these things, when we understand God, it transforms the way we engage these things. Does it make sense? Are you with me? And so this evening, 
And what I want to speak a little bit about is this, this reality of God is faithful. Um, and it's, it's quite a simple concept. Theoretically, it's this thing of, oh, faithful, we all know kind of what faithful is. But I didn't because I grew up with a dad that was very unfaithful. So my dad, I remember when I was, I loved Star Wars as a kid. I absolutely loved it. And every year I used to ask my dad for a lightsaber. Like that was my dream. As a young boy, I know, very strange. That was a friend's thing. These things correlate. Um, and actually, uh, and, so, and not just that, it's a stupid example. But every year my dad would say, yeah, yeah, we'll get you one of those. Um, and in other instances where my father would say, yeah, we're going we're gonna to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to go there, we're going to get that done. And the reality that I started to live with was actually nine out of ten times people will let me down. People are unfaithful. That was the, the mentality that I developed around life because of different engagements with different people. But then when I engaged Jesus, I had to go, okay, your Bible says, God, that you are faithful. And I had to engage us. And so tonight I want to open this up a little bit and start to, to just chat through a little bit of those things um, and, and what that means and, and what, what it means for God to be faithful. And, and I want to speak around three very simple points. And, and these points I'm going to draw out of a story. But to, to start off this evening, I want to make this statement. God is faithful to himself. So it's quite a big statement. It's quite, well, what exactly does that mean? Um, and faithfulness is this consistency, this keeping of promises, this reality. Um, and I love the way A.W. Tozer puts this. He, he puts it like this, and I'll, it'll come up on the screen behind me. He says this, Men become unfaithful out of desire, fear, weakness, loss of interest, or because of some strong influence from without. Obviously, none of these forces can affect God in any way. He is his own reason for all he is and does. He cannot be compelled from without, but ever speaks and acts from within himself by his own sovereign will as it pleases him. So we make the statement that God is faithful to himself because the reality is that God is not affected by the things that we are affected by. He's not affected by, by these, these things that move and shake and change and, and the winds of life and the things that get thrown at us and the things that dictate our emotions. That is not our God. Our God is not second-guessing himself. He's not going, oh, 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 that, oh, I don't know what to do about that. I think sometimes we, we, we think God's really good at kind of rolling with the punches. And like as life comes, he kind of figures it out. No, the Bible says that he predestined everything before creation. That is the Jesus we serve. And so tonight we make the statement that God is faithful. God is consistent. God is always the same because that is who he is. In Hebrews 13, 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's a big statement. That's this thing that actually, Jesus, you never change. So now I want to take this thought that actually we know that by nature God is faithful. There are over 80 instances in the Bible where it directly calls God faithful. So we know by his word that he is faithful. And then we bring in this element that actually he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's always faithful, he never changes, we land with this God that his faithfulness is never ending. So we live in a world where faithfulness shakes, it moves, it changes, it's, well actually you, 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 you're with me today, you let me down tomorrow, these things shift and move, but then we come to a place where we go, Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, you are always faithful God. 
You are always consistent. You never change. You are never taken by surprise. You never don't know what to do. That is the God that we serve. Can you see how when we start to get this, it transforms our posture toward God and toward people? Because actually, if I know that my God is faithful, I can step into community, and it is not people that I lean on for affirmation. It's God that I lean on for affirmation. So actually, community lets me down. That's okay. Because why? I serve an all-sufficient God. I serve a God that is always the same. It's a radical thing when we get this. Thanks. Um, can I get a witness in the church? Beautiful. Um, thanks, Ben. Um, Bronte, can we maybe just try and this reverse? Um, and tonight I want to paint a little bit of a picture of the faithfulness of God from a story out of the Bible. And many of you would have heard of the story, the story of Joseph. Um, and you may have heard it as Joseph in the Technicolored Raincoat, as I did when they used to sing songs at my primary school. And you would have heard of this thing of Joseph, and maybe you know the story well, um, but it's quite a profound story, and I just, I'm just going to walk us through it. And then there's, there's two things I want to draw out of it that I think are really powerful. Um, but the story of Joseph starts like this. He's a 17-year-old young man. Um, he's, he's, the, uh, the Bible actually says he was very well built, um, he used to work in fields and do that kind of stuff, kind of like Edwin, um, he, but no, not 17 though, eh? <laughs> and works in fields, Secunda is a real thing. Um, and so he, he's this young man, and God gives him a dream. God gives him a dream and a, a kind of a vision that his brothers and his mom and dad will bow to him. Now, if I had come to my parents and said, <laughs> mom and dad and my 11 brothers, and he's the youngest of them, you are going to bow to me. You can, I don't know about you, but we can throw out the reactions. One would either be profound laughter, like what are you even talking about? I would probably be the kind of guy that would say that to them. But actually God gave Joseph a vision. He said to him, this is what will happen in your life. This is the reality. And so, so Joseph takes hold of that vision. But obviously his brothers are not too stoked about this idea that they will bow to their youngest brother. This does not float their boat. They are not happy about this. And so what happens is the brothers go away and they plot to kill Joseph. So you can imagine God's given him this big dream. He's like, wow, they're going to bow to me. And in the day, this reality of authority, and this was a big call on Joseph's life. And now his brothers are plotting to kill him. It's kind of a bit of an anticlimax. And so he, he gets this vision, he gets this dream. And, and so what happens is he goes out into the field to look for his brothers. His brothers um, get him together. Um, and Reuben, which was one of his brothers, so they were planning to kill him, says, actually, guys, you know what? Let's not kill him. So let's just throw him in a ditch. We'll leave him there. He can kind of do his thing. And, and so he was the helpful brother, the nice one out of the 11. Um, and so, so he says to him, no, let's not kill Joseph. So what they do is they throw him in a pot. They have lunch. So they're very relaxed about this. Um, they throw him in a, in a pit. Sorry, not a pot. Same thing, really. But I mean, either way, thanks, that's helpful. Um, it was a very big pot. It was a large pot. Um, and so they throw him in this pit, and they leave him there, and they're having lunch, and I can just imagine the roast chicken or whatever else they were having. Um, and they were very relaxed. And then one of them saw a bunch of, of, of travelers coming, and they thought, you know what? Let's sell them, him to the Egyptians. That's a plan, because then we can get some bucks out of this thing. Because that's kind of like, oh, that makes sense. Let's do that. And so what they do is they sell Joseph to the Egyptians. So now I want you to process this in your mind for a moment. God has given him a vision that he will be a ruler. 
his brothers are selling him to slave traders. It doesn't correlate. It's like, wow, this, is, this doesn't work together. So his brothers sell him to slave traders. So you can imagine he's a little bit like, okay, God, but okay, God, because you are faithful, Jesus. Um, and he goes and, and he gets sold to these slave traders. And as he's sold to the slave traders, he's taken into the house of an Egyptian uh, uh, official, a very a wealthy official um, named Potiphar. And, and then there's this amazing scripture in Genesis 39. So I want you to process this. His brothers have thrown him in a pit slash pot, whichever one works for you. Um, and they've, they've thrown him, they've sold him to, to slave traders. And now he has to cut, he's working this thing out. He's probably in chains. It's, it's big. And then he gets given to this guy named Potiphar. And then in Genesis 39, there's a scripture that goes like this. And it's unbelievable, guys. He's gone through a rough time. It says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Now I want to ask you, I love in the scripture, if you read the story of Joseph, not once does it mention that Joseph complained, that Joseph moaned, it actually doesn't really tell you much about what Joseph felt about it. But you know what I believe? I believe that Joseph held on to the faithfulness of God. Because, and the second point I want to make tonight is God is faithful to his purposes. God is faithful to his purposes. There's this reality that actually he's just come from the pit. He's been sold to slave traders. He goes into this guy's house and the favor of God is on him. Why? Because he trusted the faithfulness of God. My story and my life, a little bit of this reality of actually I left my home when I was 17 years old. I can relate to this reality. God provided home after home after home for me to live in. People said, actually, you can come stay with us. Wally and Shirley Gersmeyer came into my house, stayed in their house for three months. Another amazing couple, um, Pam and her husband, brought me into their home, stayed with them for three months. Just radical stories. Jake Hearn lived in his house for a month and an unbelievable friend. Just people, but I actually realized that the favor of God was on my life because I believed in his faithfulness. In the same token, Joseph goes and he says, actually, God, you are faithful. And so God opens this unbelievable door. Potiphar places him in charge of everything. And then the spanner comes. And Potiphar's wife likes the young, chiseled young man who's working in her garden with no shirt on. And so his wife's going, okay, cool, this is looking good. And Potiphar's wife comes to him and goes, actually, I want to take you to bed. Um, and that's what the Bible says. So I'm <laughs> quoting verbatim. It literally says that. Um, and it's parts of his wife says, actually, and he says, no. And it's actually, no. He's like, no, actually, I know my God. I'm not going to do that. And she carries on, and she carries on, and she carries on, and she carries on. And then one day, in her desperation, she grabs him and says, no, you're coming now. And, you, and he, what he does is he runs. He runs from this. So, and what happens as he runs is his cloak is pulled off him. So this reality of him, he's been given authority in this household. He's been given all of these things. He's been given space. He's probably making a lot of money. All of these things have opened up. But he keeps in his mind that his God is faithful. He will live a life that honors God. And he says, I will not engage in this thing that is not of you, God. So he runs. It's so interesting, in the, first, in the first instance when he leaves his home, he loses his home and he loses, loses his technicolored raincoat, his cloak, in the first one. Second time, he loses his home and he loses his cloak. 
Both of those instances, his authority and his inheritance were taken away from him, but he saw God as faithful. He said, Jesus, you are faithful. So he runs away, and Potiphar decides, actually, so Potiphar's wife spins a story, says he tried to have his way with me, she, he um, throws him in jail. So now you can imagine, this guy has gone on a roller coaster. I don't know about your lives, but this is quite hectic. Like, so he goes, um, opportunity, into the pit, sold to a uh, slave trade, gets authority, kicked back out of that house. And as he's thrown into prison, there's another scripture in Genesis 39. It goes like this. It says, The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those he held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Can you see that when we, when we lay our trust on the faithfulness of God, no matter what the circumstance, Jesus always comes through. It is against his nature to not come through. He's faced with this radical, hectic reality. He's thrown into prison, but still he leans on the faithfulness of God. And what does God do? He opens up space. And the story continues that Joseph interprets, interprets the dreams of a cupbearer and a baker that are in the prison with him. Um, and this opens up a door for him to interpret a dream of the Pharaoh of the day. And actually, so he does that, interprets the dream of the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh brings him into his house. And guess what the Pharaoh does? He puts him in charge of everything. He puts Joseph in charge of everything. This guy went through the roller coaster of a lifetime. But because he trusted in the faithfulness of his God, in the faithfulness of God to his purposes, God took him into the promise. And it actually, the story goes on that his brothers had to come and get grain from the Pharaoh's house, and they bowed at his feet. The dream and the vision that God gave him right at the beginning, it didn't look the way he thought it would look. He thought at 17 he was going to get it. But actually, God took him through a journey, took him through a process, he placed his trust in the faithfulness of our God, and Jesus opened up the door. I want to say to you tonight that we serve a very faithful God. We serve a God that is never taken by surprise, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And I want to challenge you this evening that will you place your trust in that God? Because when we understand that God is faithful, we place our trust in him, we place our future in him, we place our lives in him, because that is who he is. It's almost like going into a battle knowing that you've won. That is the God we serve. It makes no sense to place our trust in anybody else other than this magnificent God. First point is God is faithful to himself. The fundamental reality with that statement is that he can never, ever, ever let us down, let himself down. It is completely contrary to him. He is not dependent on, on the, the world or other things to dictate who he is. But rather, it is himself who sustains himself. He's completely self-sufficient. Gabe said it in the first sermon of the series. Secondly, he's faithful to his purposes. And we have the unbelievable privilege of stepping into those purposes. I hope that makes sense. Lastly, and I want to make this last um, point, and it's quite an intriguing one, and I just felt God lay this on my heart, is that God is, is faithful to himself, he's faithful to his promises, and he's faithful to his people. And there's this radical reality that Jesus chose 
that Adam and Eve, uh, Adam and Eve they, they sinned. He created man. Adam and Eve sinned. They stepped out of the favor of God. And 8,000 years ago, God begins a journey to bring man back to himself. I don't know if in your mind you can picture anything more faithful than that. That actually God would, through a process of the exodus, of taking his people through that, through prophets, through realities, through brokenness, them running away from him, running away from him, running away from him. He draws them back, he draws them back, he draws them back. And then he lands his faithfulness in the person of Jesus. He lands his faithfulness in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the perfect display of the faithfulness of God. He is the the embodiment of the faithfulness of God. Because actually God says, I will send my son so that you could be reconciled to me. There's this reality that even though you've stuffed it up, even though you went much further than you should have, even though there's no way to get back to me, I made a promise to you that I would bring you back to me. And what does he do? He sends his perfect son to be sacrificed on a cross so that we could come back into relationship with God. That is the picture of our unbelievably faithful God. God is faithful to himself. He is faithful to his purposes. And he is faithful to his people. And I want to say to us tonight, what does it look like when we don't depend on the faithfulness of God? Because we, we paint this unbelievable picture of this God who is faithful, who is he's, he's, he's far more glorious than we could ever imagine. He's always consistent. He, he never fails. He's always the same. I want you to understand that when we get those things, it transforms our posture toward Him and toward people. But then there's this reality that we forget. The Bible uses this word. It says transform your mind. It doesn't say change your mind. Because we change our minds on a daily basis. We go, actually, you know, this is a good idea. No, that, oh, no, I'm going to do that this week. No, I'm going to do that. I started supping a week ago. Now I want to buy one. It's like that guy. You know how change, we change our minds. It's like this. It's, supping really is quite fun. But um, it's this reality that actually it doesn't say change our minds. It says transform them. It's make them new. Take what you used to believe, get rid of it, and believe God. Because there's this reality that when we transform our minds, it shifts our lives. It shifts our trajectory, it shifts our purposes, it shifts where we're going. And God needs people to take his plans and purposes seriously. He needs a church that will lean on his faithfulness and say, God, I know that there are realities, that there are challenges, that life happens, but I'm going to lean on your faithfulness. And the challenge that when we decide not to lean on his faithfulness is we click into a mode that I like to call plan maker. We become plan makers. And I know this because I grew up like this. I grew up with this reality that actually it's not going my way, so I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to make a plan. I used to say to my mom every day, my mom would say to me, hey, I don't know how we're going to sort it out. Don't worry, I'll make a plan. I'll, make, I'll sort it out. I'll get it done. But you know what? That is a posture of an orphan. It is an orphan posture. It's a thing that actually, my God, the, the Bible is so clear. It says, if, if God feeds the birds, will he not look after you? It's like this, you are his son. You're his daughter. But the problem is we forget the faithfulness of God and we stop engaging him in a way that says, actually, you are provider. You will make a way. I love Joseph. He, as his, his brothers come to him, he, he says this in Genesis 45. It says, so then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He's saying it was not my circumstances. It was not your sin. It was not your mess up. It was God who sent me into this place. It's this reality that actually it's the faithfulness of God in my life. 
And it goes on, he said, um, He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. And he said, and then he sends them back to fetch his father. But there's this reality that, that we need to lean on the faithfulness of God so that we don't step into this plan maker mentality. This mentality that says, actually, you know what? And you know what? Um, Joseph was, 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 he had many opportunities to click into plan maker mode. When he was in that pit, he could have tried to get out. They were eating lunch. They were over there. He could have tried to get out, run away, sort that out. But actually, no, he trusted the faithfulness of God. With Potiphar's wife, he had authority, he had money, he had land, he had all the things that we, in our minds, go, that's what I should be after in life. And it took one act for him to keep all of that stuff. But he chose to say, God, you are faithful. I'm not going to make a plan here. I'm going to trust you. And God came through. It's this reality of actually, each time that Potiphar, uh, that Joseph trusted in the faithfulness of God, his inheritance and his authority grew. Every single time. He started in a space with his father on their farm, in their land. He was taken out of that, and actually the net, he was given more authority. Why? Because he trusted in the faithfulness of God. And that situation ripped out of that, and he was made ruler over Egypt. This, this magnificent reality. Why? Because he trusted in the faithfulness of our God. And I want to ask us tonight, and I want to land with this thought. We serve a God who is completely faithful, who never fails. Will you take a chance on God? Will you say, God, I will believe your faithfulness. I will step away from plan maker mode. Because I've, and to this day, every day, there's the temptation to step into that space. To step into a space where actually, I don't, I don't actually, God, I trust you, but hey, this door's opening up. I love, Mark says it all the time, we don't believe in open door Christianity. Doors will open all the time. We need to hear God. We need to trust God. And we will walk into his purposes and his plans. We have to realize, well, actually, Jesus, today, I make a choice, I make a decision to lean on your faithfulness that will never fail, to step out of plan maker mode. And you will see the radical provision, the radical sufficiency, and the radical intimacy of God over your life. And it's my dream for us that we would step into that space. Because I really believe that our God has got radical plans for us. We need a church that will rise up. We need a church that will say, actually, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of brokenness, my God is faithful. In the midst of dark times, in the midst of all of these things, that which I know are real, God, you are faithful. I will not step into plan maker mode. I will trust in you, Jesus.